Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Jonah is my name. <laughs> Wait, watch this. I'm going I'm to... Or my name is Jonah. See if this sounds like a weird effect. Ready? Steven. Did that travel through your, your, your holes, everybody? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Brad, you should auto-tune a whole episode. That Wait, didn't crazy. we do that once? You no. requested that, and I geeked out and explained to you how auto-tune works. <laughs> That's on a previous episode. You can go back yeah, and listen to it. Go back and listen to that <laughs> fascinating convo. In the Going Off Track archives. Um, Followed and, by our great conversation on bass traps. Yes. And Brad, of course, our producer. Hey. Mm. You want to talk about bass traps some more? <laughs> I find that shit fascinating. They need to be really big. <laughs> Today on the podcast... <laughs> We have <laughs> a couple of guys who would love to talk about bass traps. Yes. Or yoga. Or kids. Yeah. How about those kids? <laughs> oh, God. Group. Oh, God. Let me Group. cut this off now. This, uh, is, this is number this one in our series of podcasts devoted to the band Overseas. Yes. So we did two podcasts dedicated to Overseas, who are an amazing band featuring Dave Bazan of Pedro the Lion, Matt and Bubba Cadane, who are in one of my favorite bands, Bedhead, and also The New Year. And Will Johnson, who's in Centromatic, who are another amazing band. And uh, they came together. Um, despite three, all odds. Despite all odds and all schedules and geography. And they made a record, self-titled record. And it's fucking awesome. And if you're fans of any of these bands, you'll like it. And even if you're not, it's such a unique, cool album. The story behind it's awesome. They came out to New York and played a couple shows. And they were amazing. And uh, I don't know what they'll be doing in the future, um, because they are all kind of touring in separate acts, but hopefully they'll be doing more. But two episodes, this first one, Stephen, who's this, this one This with? is with uh, Bubba and Will. So Bubba Cadane and Will Johnson um, talking about overseas, among other things. And stay tuned for an episode with Dave Bazan and Matt Cadane coming up after this one. And by after, he means next week. Yes. <laughs> Today on Going Off Track, we have uh, Will Johnson and Bubba Cadane. I'm pronouncing that right? That's correct. Beautiful. From overseas, and you might know Will from Centromatic, and Bubba from Bedhead, The New Year. Um, anything I'm missing? No, that's it. All right. You're usually is, pretty on it with keeping track I, of all the bands. That is true. Well, I listen to all these bands a lot, so it makes it super it. easy. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are in town with Overseas, your band with um, Dave Bazan and your brother Matt. Correct. So how did this band get started? Had you guys all toured together before? Uh, Matt and I have known Will for a long time. Since, what did we figure out since when? 1990, I 1990. think. 1990. Matt so, used to buy me drinks. When he was underage. When I underage. was not allowed to buy drinks. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, we've known each other that long. Yeah. <laughs> so, 1990, before computers. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, when you had to actually use paper maps and street signs and stuff you like that to get to around. the promoter or the payphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we, so we've known Will for a long time. And then Dave opened up for the new year. Uh, I just realized this the other day. It was in 2002 on a West Coast tour. So we've known him that long. You, I think you've known him a little longer than that. So three or four. Yeah, or, or around the same time. And so we've all known each other for a while. And then uh, sometimes my brother and I play just duo shows, two of us. And Will asked us to play 
in I think it was 2008, yeah, 2008 or so, to open up for Centromatic for a show in Dallas. And we were playing some shows around that time before the last New Year record came out. So we did that. It was great. We had a great time. We had just been, I guess, with Dave at some point, too. <clears throat> and there was this idea that because those two guys tour solo a lot, Will and Dave, and Matt and I were doing that, it was kind of in the air that, you know, the four of us should get in a car and just hit the road and play shows. But the idea was not to play together. The idea was like, you know, Will would do his show. We would do our show. Dave, you know what I mean? It's just as a touring group of guys playing their own stuff troubadours exactly and uh we decided to be fun sounded like fun and so we decided we were going to do that and uh i think it was mad at one point said you know it would be cool if we actually recorded something that could be like a tour cd or something like it was very you know just throw something out you know throw out an idea maybe we could turn it into something to to make it kind of a special thing or whatever so we thought that's a great idea. We should start trying to collaborate on some music or something. Gradually it turned into us, you know, recording some different things, passing it around. Will recorded some drum tracks in Austin. Matt and I had a few little demo pieces of music and we decided oh, this is kind of starting to gel. It's starting to work. Let's go to studio. And we, there's a studio that we use in, that the new year has used that will and Centromatic have used outside of Denton, kind of out in the country. It's a great place to go. And so we decided to meet there and just see how it went. Turns out, long story short, we ended up working on a record because it was going so well and never did that tour, you know, that we originally set out to do. We ended up forming a band and, you know, making a record. And then that was like around 2009, and, uh, you know, having that come out four years later, you know, after just sort of working on it here and there and fine-tuning it, and then here we are doing this. So the I'm, pinnacle. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize that record was recorded so long ago. Yeah, it started that long ago. Yeah, it was December of '09. It was right around the holidays, and uh, there were a handful of sessions to follow it up. It seemed like on average every six or seven months we'd get back together and chip away at it and... It was probably a total of 10 days at the most together yeah. in the studio. But part of that time was spent actually starting a second record. So we started, we recorded like four new songs at one point. Um, again, that was one of those things where we thought the record was going to come out last summer. For various reasons, it didn't. And we had all set aside time to play some shows around that time. And we just decided, you know, we had this momentum, I kind of felt like, you know, we had more stuff in us and we thought, you know, let's just take three or four days and go back in the studio, record some more songs rather than going out on tour since the record's not coming out. And I'm so glad we did it because we're playing new songs at these shows and we have more to do. So it was one of those things where even in those that 10 day session, part of that is half of record number two. Yeah. How was the vibe recording songs? So you guys do solo stuff, but also are in bands. So is that kind of a weird dichotomy of you like doing your solo things, but all of a sudden you're in a band again? There's a band mind. There's a, I mean, there's a real raw sort of a newness to it during during those early, those those first couple of sessions where we were hammering stuff out and just creating the songs right there off the floor, essentially, kind of piece by piece and part by part so it wasn't a terribly structured kind of way to bring a record together like well i brought five songs and bazan brought five songs and, you know yeah it wasn't like that it wasn't like that at all so much of it was constructed right there in the moment and it took time and you know definitely put some new wrinkles in our brains as far as just uh i don't know i don't i don't think we had we had really operated like that with our bands think, very well yeah, we'd always brought material had. in and showed them the way and like this is kind of how the song goes this is part this part and that's how that's supposed to go but with the construction of this record by and large it was uh really sussed out and constructed right there in the studio um 
Is which is an exciting way to live. I mean, it's kind of yeah. a fun working without a net type of feeling. Well, they're in the studio and then remotely. Yeah, like then they, there were a handful of, yeah. of times where I would go maybe cut some backing vocals or like he mentioned, uh, do some drums originally and just send drum parts across. Like is, if this brings up any ideas, like here's basically a song on the drums you know like here are the these drum parts see, as songs see should think. be written drums first <laughs> it's a strange way to write but it's kind of fun i think i i, I think it uh, educates and informs a person as a performer and as a writer to write on instruments that you aren't that, that that maybe aren't your number one sort of go-to you know it seems so natural like well i'll just pick up the guitar and start messing around it's like pick up a bass or try it on drums you know like put up put some parts together and see what might come out of that that's an exciting way to write and i think that was there was a real newness and a rawness to that that we all really embraced i think originally i may be wrong with this but i feel like originally we talked like we'll just make an ep or something yeah we'll make something pretty easy it'll take a week or so and but there wound up being enough material to justify a full record, which wound up being this record that we're supporting right now. What I think is interesting is I feel like I love Centromatic and I, I love New Year and Bedhead, but sonically the bands are sort of are so different. Like I feel like there's kind of more twangy stuff, like more like slower stuff. I mean, what was it like kind of merging those styles together? I mean, was it just a natural thing or did you kind of write differently or was it... Uh. I think what what to me was sort of satisfying and enjoyable enjoyable about this whole process was that you know for the past you know 20 plus years Matt and I've written songs together and we don't really have methods but we have like kind of like Will was saying you have your go-to thing Comfort that you, do. you play something you play things on guitar and, and we definitely you know, you try to break out of that, you know, you change your tunings on guitar, you write something on piano, whatever. And, uh, but you still are, you're, you're, you're doing it on your own or with, you know, a familiar partner. And then when you add in two other people that you've never done that with before, but you trust their instincts, what was cool about this was that, I think all 10 songs were kind of constructed and and developed and written in completely different ways. Um, they did start on different instruments. So they started with one person's idea or they started with the, the band completely collaborating together. And they finished out in different ways too. Like it was, well, like Will was saying, you know, we decided later on this should have a Will doing a harmony to Dave. And so we said, Will, can you go into the studio down there and do this? And then, you know, we didn't say what to do. We were just like, Will, you know what to do. Go in there and do it. Do your thing. And then we would get a vocal track back from the studio and just think, that's great. You know, let's that finishes the song. And uh, it was little stuff like that. It was, you know, me sitting at home adding another guitar part to something or, you know, whatever. And uh, there were some times when lyrics weren't finished and, and, you know, Dave went back to Seattle and, you know, finished those and then recorded the vocal there. And to me, having all that stuff happen in such different ways uh, and then still come together as a record, I feel like. I mean, other people may feel differently, but I felt like it came together as a cohesive record when it could have been a real hodgepodge jumbled, you know, sort of thing. So that's what I enjoyed about it was that it was just the doors were open for whatever we wanted to do, but still you're sort of applying your intuition and your, you know, the, the, the skills that each one has to make those things happen. How do you finalize a song? How do you know with all four of you, with your skills and opinions, like go, okay, that's the title, those are the lyrics, the song, this is finished. 
again, it was all different. You know, it it's was. like I wish every, I had a really neat answer, a very yeah, tidy answer. It's I think almost you guys like, have stumbled on the secret of a good band. We're trying to discern <laughs> yeah. this. If you can just let everyone know. Yeah, but yeah. It sounds I mean, like there was no, like there was no bullshit. So it was basically there was no like there's like you take this and go do your thing is the coolest. Yeah part about this like you know what you need to yeah, do like we're yeah. not telling you you do it. and i it, think that's kind of what and, and then like, and then you send it to everyone else and and you know it like do you guys like this is it is it cool and and you know the i mean i know personally matt and i've always been tried to be our own harshest critics and it's one of the lucky things about having a, a someone that you do that with is that you can bounce something off of them in a really fresh way and this for me was an expansion of that you know that you could bounce it off three other guys and they could in turn do the same thing and so there was uh it, it was definitely the kind of thing where where everyone wanted to make sure that everyone in the band liked what they did i think that was an important part of it you know that that we're pleasing the other guys. With Do you think that comes done. from being fans of the music or, or being you know friends first? Uh, I think you know it's it's going back to what y'all were saying earlier about going into the studio. You know how well, I guess what you were saying earlier. How did it feel to to you know have your own bands, but then collaborate with someone with new people? And the the thing that made it so easy is that we were all friends. It's like if we had all gotten together for a fishing trip, it would have been cool too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, you know, it's... It could it, have been macrame. If we had come out of there with... Origami or whatever we wanted to do, it would have been fine. Yeah, origami, it, though, can start some fights. If you don't fold it correctly, you have to be careful. <laughs> it gets Maybe serious. we'll find that out. Yeah. Soon. I don't know. Before sound check, yeah, <laughs> but that's exactly what this sounds like. It sounds like you guys got together and like, ah, uh, well, this could be fun. Like, but, it sounds like yeah. had you guys decided cooking, you probably would have had a good cookbook by now. Like, yeah, it like well, you know, and it's the kind of thing too where um, if we had come out with nothing, we would have just admitted that, yeah. you know, admitted you know defeat, and and everything would have been exactly the same as it was before. But you know, I think it, to me it was like. It was the kind of thing where you realize we realized pretty, you know, fairly quickly that, you know, it was going to work on some basic fundamental level. And but it wasn't even discussed. That's what was kind of cool. We just kind of kept moving forward without, you know, even discussing it in the first few days. I think the mutual fanship and the years of respect and friendship. <clears throat> that kind of pro- provide the common denominator for the whole band propelled that i think there was just an understanding that we wanted to do right by one another and we were coming in we were coming in with this with a nice combination of having known each other for years so we we didn't have to i don't know there was just no uh we didn't have to walk in the door on our best behavior, so to speak, or mm-hmm. something. You know, we yeah. were able to be very frank with one another if something was working or not working, and I think that definitely fueled things in a real positive way. But I, I, if it, you know, there there were no pleasantries. Kind of, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to say there weren't pleasantries thrown about or anything, but just the we were able to get right down to business and and be very frank with one another. Sounds like something. a mutual respect level. What's that? It sounds like a mutual respect for everybody. Very much so. And also, I think if you're in a band and you deal with other people in bands and then you're in a band with guys who have bands, yeah. you know how to, um, for lack of a better term, avoid the crap. Yeah. Well, you, it's, a, it's one of those things, too, that we actually have verbalized is that when you're kind of the leaders or singers or songwriters or whatever of your band, it's nice to get together with other guys who are who do the same thing because you get to let a little bit go you 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 don't have the response as much on your shoulders too but at the same time you gain some insight in this real wonderful informative way like of 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 picking up on how others write and how they create it's a nice vantage point to go in with other folks what did you learn from these guys what's that what did you learn 
well, we love to cook and make things and I knew it. with exotic reductions like <laughs> Nutella and vodka <laughs> thing and <laughs> champagne. What's champagne? Oh man. It's a type of champagne, I believe, but it's a yes. more economical <laughs> yeah. much easier way to make it. I haven't heard I haven't thought about that since college. Champagne. Good God. Did Dave kinda of tone down his kind of diva attitude for these sessions? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean but it's still there a lot. Yeah. He shows up late for everything after we've already all loaded in. We loaded in and got everything set up. And he, he just we rock the stars time, right on the stage. I know. It was funny. Bob texted me this morning. He's like, they're running a little late. Yeah. It's probably Dave's fault. <laughs> it wasn't this it morning, wasn't. but at least I thought. And then, of course, he shows up after us. We're the ones running late. I take You can't be late for that. <laughs> With it, you know. We call that the good time Charlie kind of thing, you know, <laughs> when you show up. After everything's loaded in or after everything's loaded out, you spend your good time Charlie credit. So, <laughs> so well, you live in Texas? I do, yeah. Uh, where are you? You're in Denton? I'm in Austin now. You're in Austin now? Yeah, but I was in Denton for about 14 years. I One of my favorite bands who I never got to see were Slobberbone. Great band. They're starting to do some stuff again. It seems like uh, I saw them play about six weeks ago in Austin. It's great to see those guys playing again and... and I think they're kind of messing around with the idea of making another record before too long. It seems, seems like they're starting to get the wheels cranking a little bit. Based again. on their name, they're now my favorite band. They're great. <laughs> and I, you know what record I listened to last night was that Dram's record. Yeah. Which is also really good. It's a great record. It's a really cool pop record. I thought it was a cool direction for them. But I, I love both bands, but I'm excited to know that it, if nothing else, I'm just excited to see Slobberbone out playing again. I don't know about touring, but it's they've definitely been doing some Texas shows here and there. What and is it about that area where bands that are really awesome form and then never tour and just play? Like, 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 like Mark Mann, <laughs> like Mark Mann, High Tension Wires. Yeah. Like, God, you got you to drive a long way to get out of Texas. Yeah, yeah just to get out of Texas. Yeah. It takes a little effort for sure. So. It definitely, you Those know, records are so ridiculous. Keep you contained and... <laughs> You realize the halfway point between Texarkana and Los Angeles is, I believe it's El Paso. You're still in Texas yeah. when wow. you're like, there's a little mileage perspective. There's a really fascinating road sign, a uh, mileage sign as you're coming into Texas going westbound from Louisiana. You see the first, you know, welcome to Texas sign. And then the next sign says Beaumont, 27 miles, El Paso, 853 and it's it's just like they could have said Houston or San Antonio, but instead they give you the full like yeah. we're going to give you the full menu right now and let you know how long you're going to be with us. And it's like 853 miles, and you'll be in the same state. Get some gas. <laughs> That's why everybody drives across the Panhandle. What is that? The 70? No, 40. Whatever. It's 40. Like, yes, yeah, the 40s. Yeah. 70 is north. Get yeah. Confused. Because I remember doing that going, and then that's a day. That's yeah. still that damn far. Yeah, well, that's still no excuse. Those bands are too good. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Um, and I know Central Matter put out a record last year. We put out a record in the summer of 11, a couple okay. years ago, and we're just finishing, uh, we just finished tracking for the next record in the last couple of weeks. We've still got to mix and master it, but um, yeah, we're working on a new one right now. And you also, like Dave, do the house shows. Mm-hmm. What's that kind of experience been like? It's been... It's great. I got to say like it, it, it and I've, I've I've attended a number of them. The reason I started doing them was really kind of at the by the encouragement of Dave and our manager Bob. I went to see one of his in 2009 when he first started doing the living room tours and I really enjoyed the way that it um it cut down some of the some of the subconscious barriers that exist at venue shows. It definitely put folks on a uh, kind of a neutral plane. I mean, obviously you're in a private residence and you kind of got to like, you got to seek it out. You know, it's not like going down to the venue and taking your place in the corner and kind of witnessing the show and taking off it. I've found that it encourages a real sense of uh, community. It, um, it forges friendships and encourages conversation. And it's, it's definitely, um, I just enjoy the, the climate that, that it provides i think it's a it's a nice uh i don't know it's a it's a it's a nice break from a typical venue kind of setting and there's no backstage there's no you know there's nothing like that you're just in it together and to me it, it almost 
it makes me think of what performing music might have been like in in earlier times when performers went from village to village and just kind of sat in rooms and entertained each other and figured out ways to to just entertain and 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 communicate and so uh in in those ways it's been really rewarding and really satisfying i've managed to make a handful of good friends throughout the whole just probably seven or eight tours that i've done I like the fact that there's no PA system. Uh, the production is essentially a chair. You know, you sit you sit in a chair and you you play your songs. And I really like how it pairs things down. It's a nice break from the volume sometimes and of 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 the traditional rock show, I suppose too. And it gives me a chance to work on my very questionable comedy routine. Uh, I also love seeing the inside of other strangers' apartments. I go and get a lot of paint. Like I get a lot of ideas just by going into these people's houses. I'll get some paint color ideas, and I, I want to. It sounds like a joke, but I played one in Louisiana in February, and and my wife was traveling with me on that segment of the tour, and we were standing in the dining room. We wound up asking the couple, like, "What, what paint color is this? It's incredible!" And the guy was just like, "Hang on, my sister works at the, you know, this paint." place i'll i'll get the exact code and number and brand and everything for you so he called her it's like 11 o'clock at night got the he got the exact paint color and everything from her what and paint color was it? I'm it's like this kind of uh olive almost like an olive brown sort of uh hybrid nice color we really loved it and I you don't get that at the venue you know and i swear six weeks later our bedroom was that color <laughs> This is not a joke. I mean, so living room touring that. provides some really nice. You're like, you're like, you know, you're entering these people's <laughs> home, and you're basically the star of the show. And afterwards, you're like, damn, this is a really lovely color. What is that? That's a beautiful yeah. color. I think yeah. that's great. I have to be careful sometimes, though, because a lot of the time, I think my tendency is to just gravitate toward the kitchen and hang out there before or after the show. And I realize, like, I'll catch myself staring at things that are none of my business you know just like pictures on a refrigerator or something like i was like i don't know these people i shouldn't be looking at this but but at the same time the paint color things like or just decoration ideas are certainly it's kind of exciting i think i think, think the fridge like, pictures are fair game because that's they put them, them on the there, fridge yeah, yeah you can exactly. look i think that you should most if you people were like, don't put things they hate on the refrigerator <laughs> yeah it's usually like stuff they you know it's like sometimes there, there's no that's not gonna be anything inappropriate you know i wouldn't feel like you're not going through like the underwear drawer you know that well depending on your who depends on i guess the host if they encourage that then, then you're at a different yeah. kind of party and you right. should have mm-hmm. researched more I have asked a couple of times, you know, with the with the host, like, is everything okay? Is everything intact? Does it seem like everything's still in place and nothing got broken? Right? We're cool, and it's like, yeah, it's totally cool, you know. Like, but because it is a, it's a big. It, it seems like a living room show. Like, well, it's a small venue. It's like it's informal. It's easy, but it's a big deal for a person to open up their home to forty strangers and have them in and and hanging out and drinking and you know asking questions and it's. It's kind of like hosting a party with people you don't really know a lot of the time. So with that, I think it, you know, it, there's a certain gravity to it and a certain, um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to do that. I'm not sure that I'd open up my home to 40 I've always been blown away by the whole thing that it works. It's kind of like I was blown away by eBay when it first happened. Yeah. You got to be kidding me. This is going to work. Anarchy. You know, yeah. and and that's the same kind of thing. It's like it restores a little bit of faith in humanity that people can and organize it, and do all that stuff and open up their homes and sell things to people and it's whatever. A, it's a really big deal. And, and, and the fact that, you know, we all drive up that same street kind of looking for the address and and we're you know it's got a little bit of that high school party kind of feel to it where you know it's like is that it no that's not it is that it so just go where all the cars are you know and then we'll go in and take our beer and sit for a while but but it does going back to what i was saying before i've found that it has encouraged some friendships and a little bit of a culture of its own to where some hosts they know about each other and they have created um kind of makeshift venues out of their homes and they're hosting numerous shows per year um does anybody have like say the you know redone basement 
game room kind of thing, or is it? Because mo- I've only been to one of of Bazan's, yeah, and it was like, uh, you know, duplex living room, right? Basically, yeah, and like just kind of like what you'd expect. But I didn't. Does anybody like you said? You know, create more of a like a venue, venue environment. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There are a couple of people that have have. But how many shows are they? Even have like lighting systems and full oh, PA's no if you want to use them. How many? How many times are they doing it in a year? It depends. There's you know there's one gal that I've I've played at her place of I guess two or three times now, and she's essentially created like an eighty capacity you know capacity of eighty people venue okay. in her basement with a small bar off to the right, and like there's a full lighting rig That's and PA awesome. if you want to use it. Clubs are going to start going out of business, um, and she like she <laughs> you know say, she cooks yeah. for she cooks for you when you show up, and you're free to stay there if you like. But she's wonderful, and 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 at the same time, I think it has made you know sometimes it can make promoters a little bit uneasy because they understand like wow the, the treatment's really good. <laughs> that, how do we compete with that? Um, I think that's a rare thing. I, I think the living room thing is, by and large, it's uh, its own thing, and it doesn't necessarily threaten the venue show too much. But in a smaller town, in a smaller community, community, I could see that being the case, possibly. But it is interesting because some 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 hosts really put on a big spread. It's an excuse to put on a, quite a production with tons of food and drinks, and like really host host a a a big event and then other hosts are pretty brass tacks you know it's like there's the chair and come on in and do the show and then once it's over and and both are fine the the hosts are not obligated to provide anything really other than a chair and like kind of low lighting and that's about it are there a lot of situations over like the end of the night that he's like yeah let's hang out all night and party and you guys are like we want to kind of go to bed (laughs) sometimes yeah (laughs) sometimes and I'll try to split the difference on that a little bit. I'll, I'll hang for a while. But if it has been a really like a heavy drive day, particularly in the West, you know, if you're driving six, eight hours a day in the West or something like that, it, I'll usually m- make mention of that early on and, and hang for a little while. But I'll, you know, get out of there before, you know, it gets too late or something like that. But some people really do want to hang out. They really want to make a big night of it and then others are very courteous and very tidy about the whole thing it's like okay that's it show's over we've got kids and school in the morning thanks for coming out (laughs) that's all so but the cool another thing is that that's nice about it is that the the nights are early i mean the show starts about 8 or 8 15 and theoretically everything's I mean, the show's done by nine thirty or so. Every show is me too. So everybody could be out the door by ten. God, can you guys play at nine o'clock tonight? We play at nine forty-five. Really? Yeah, that's what I just I just read on the itinerary that beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. so there you go. That's my kind of start time. I like that. Yeah, (laughs) but in New York, that's damaging because that means you can still be out till about four. That's right. Yeah, that's that's the other thing about the living room thing. If you're having a hard morning the next day with a big hangover, it's usually by totally by your own hand, you know. Or if it's been too late of a night, it's not because you had to play too late or load out late because the show was done at nine (laughs) thirty. Cursed self control. Yeah, but our. are the New Year? It's been a while since the last record. America. Yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's what's? Are you and Matt still play together a lot, or what? What have you been uh, doing outside of overseas? We uh, have been gradually working on another record. Um, we have, you know, I guess about eight or so songs. We, you know, we always kind of. Uh, do tend to jettison some along the way that aren't working or whatever. And so there've been a few of those, but I think we have about eight or so that we're happy with. And we actually started recording some of it. Um, we've always recorded, uh, with Steve Albini up at his studio in Chicago, or we, we have since the last bedhead record. And so we went up there, I guess it was last spring and did do some basic tracks for some of the stuff. And, you know, it'll sound super lame if I tell you all the reasons why we haven't finished it, but it's, it's little stuff and it's, it's, it's little specific things that we're not sure about. And also just kind of trying to figure out, um, 
how it should all come together. And so there have been these, uh, there have been some logistical reasons why it, it hasn't finished, but also just creative ones too. Like, um, anyway, it's hard to explain, but you know, but it, but it's in the works. Definitely. I mean, and I love all the stuff you guys did with Albini and all the, the Silkworm stuff that they did with him and all those touch and go that era. I mean, was it a bummer for you when touch and go kind of stopped putting out? New oh records? yeah. It was a bummer and a shock for sure. I mean, we had, um, that was, uh, I guess that was in 2009. Um, and you know, just like three years prior to that, we had just played the touch and go 25th anniversary, you know, big festival thing that they had done, which was awesome. You know, our last, our feeling at the time was, Oh, this is, you know, big and healthy and go on forever. And, Corey was, you know, I mean, he's a he's a uh, smart guy who's also, um, you know, I think the main thing was that he saw something coming down the pipe, which was this is not going to continue to be sustainable. And I think what you know what he said because I talked to him on the phone, you know, when all that was going, he called every band, told everybody, you know, what was going on. And he basically, in a nutshell, did not want to be the guy who doesn't pay royalties because the label's in trouble. So basically, I think what he did was pare down soon enough that that never, you know, it never became a problem as far as that goes. In other words, the money that's coming in from record sales wasn't going to pay debt. You know, it, it's still flowed back out to the bands and so you know they were i don't want to say anything incorrect but i want to say there was maybe like 25 people or so who worked for touch and go and they owned their own big warehouse building in chicago and i think it's pared down to like four people now and now they're out in seattle and it's back catalog sales and a few reissues like they reissued you know, a few things like Jesus lizard stuff or something like that. And, uh, but other than that, it's very much just kind of maintaining <coughs> the catalog sales. And all, as far as all that goes, it's fine. I mean, we still, you know, get our usual statements and reporting and everything. Nothing's changed. They've always been cool. Everything's always worked like clockwork. And so, you know, for us, the only problem and for many of the other bands is that, you know, for the first time in our recording history, we don't have a label and we're not involved with Touch and Go. You know, because even through Trance, all the bedhead stuff, we all de we dealt with Touch and Go all the time. Everything went through Touch and Go. So we have since 93 been with Touch and Go. And now, you know, we don't know necessarily, we haven't shopped the next New Year record around or anything like that because it's not done. But so that's kind of weird. It's just that, you know, it, it, I would love for it to have kept going. Yeah. Of course. I mean, J-Tree went through that too, didn't they? They went catalog a while ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a yeah. lot of labels, I feel yeah. like, do that. I mean, SST has been that way yep. forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. SST is, at least to my knowledge, still, it's it's run out of Taylor, Texas yeah, now. Yeah, do you ever see Greg in? I've never seen him, but I was looking at houses out there about five years ago, and it was... Uh, it was really kind of bewildering. I was just downtown kind of checking the place out and it was like barbershop, cafe, antique store, SST records. And it was just like, it was strange. It was oh, they have an actual retail store there? It's not a store, but it's it's where he's got his warehouse. Really? And I guess they do all their shipping and all their business out of Taylor. It's like, it's in the Austin area, but obviously it's cheaper to be out there and easier to get space. Something know? has to pay for those lawsuits. Hmm? Something has to pay for those lawsuits. That, that, that situation is so, so silly. It's just like one of many. For yeah. them, you know? It just caught me off guard seeing that big SST sign in Taylor, Texas. It was yeah. really, I knew they were in the area, but I didn't Taylor's know. Taylor's an old, like, you know, small Texas town. Yeah. You know, railroad still town. looks like an old town, you know. Yeah. That's, that's what amazed me, and I'm sure you guys have seen it just from touring, is that when you, I went to a wedding in New Mexico, and it's like every town is last picture show, you know? Yeah. You don't even quite realize it, that that's America, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's, it's just pockets of that. And yeah. I live in Jersey, and there's pockets of that. Yeah. But that's like how everything's just spread out, and 
now with you know the mollification, it's almost nice to see those towns that you know don't have the Best Buy here. Yeah, oh, Taylor. Taylor's towns, like though. that. Taylor's very much like that. I feel like it's kind of a bummer to, to even when you're traveling or driving cross country and you're seeing so many of the like the wall, not even just the Walmart, but like the the Walgreens. The, these like just that mm-hmm. weird tan colored block that's like, in the middle of everything. Uh, and all the mom and pop shops are kind of gone. Yeah. And if yeah. you're on the interstates, for sure, that's that's all you see. I mean, if you get off on you know some smaller state highways and stuff. You, you get a little bit more reassurance that there is a little bit of that yeah. left. The town, the town square can still survive, uh, love, you know, yeah. here and there. But I mean, I, even Denton still has retained that. We we played in Denton a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't been there in a while. And yeah. you know, it's still just like the cool town square, and it's built up around there, but it's not built up with chain. It managed places. to preserve it's, its core. In a really great and it's way, a, it's where it's a, a good mix of independent business and it's it's totally. growing as well. Isn't that weird? You have to fight that, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. like fight, we're down you're at fighting the, the money, dude. We're at the shore last week and um, in Ocean City, New Jersey, which is this like old, dry, you know, family resort. And uh, years ago, like McDonald's won, and there's McDonald's there. And yeah. last year, a uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. And this yeah, year, they, a Starbucks. Yeah, they're fighting it because fight I mean, where my family is too in, uh, in Long Beach Island, New Jersey. It's a similar, similar vibe. It's a te- they don't allow anyone to build up. Yeah. And so every the main street's been the same way since the early 1900s. It's beautiful, and it's all mom and pop businesses. Like they're like, why are we going to let a Starbucks here? That we have our own coffee shop, and mm-hmm. it's like I kind of dig that vibe, and I've, oh, I gravitate toward it. You know. Yeah, and and you know they don't need to be everywhere. No, you know they can like just leave a few places alone it's inspiring to you see know? a handful of towns and cities really holding on to well that. it's kind of like you it, all the places that were smart enough to do like say city ordinances like yeah. santa fe for example you know the city ordinances height and also everything's adobe mm-hmm. you know so yeah. it's still i was there this past uh, a month or so ago and i hadn't been in a long time still looks basically the same yeah you know in a good way and, you know, you have to kind of just say, this is our zone. You can play around on the interstate yeah, do whatever right. you want, but just just leave us. That's the way Bastrop here. is. Like the, the, oh, the highway really? is littered with, you know, it's, it's got the box stores and so forth. But if you cross over to the river and get into downtown, there's nothing like that. It's, it's, That's all, cool. it's all independent and mom and pop, and they're very strict about that. But even Austin, to a degree, has held on to that as, as yeah, long it as has. it could. Yeah. yeah. It's... I just was enlightened to this a few weeks ago, but I, as I understand it, it's now the 11th largest city in the nation. Yeah. So it's like, obviously, there's just going to be... One of the fastest growing. Yeah, sure. but they've held on as long as they could, I think, in a really good way. Even the airport, all the businesses within the airport are Austin-based. <coughs> so, you know, if you fly in, you don't see a McDonald's or a Starbucks. Instead, you get Rudamaya coffee and, you know, Thunderbird sandwiches and barbecue that's shipped in from that's the hill awesome. country every day it's kind of cool awesome. that they're still holding on yeah, to that because cool. i'm saying all this as i have a starbucks cup next to me. Uh, <laughs> corporate chill because it was uh, penn station and i came in and i just no, wanted iced tea you know those those sorts of preservation kind of things and that's that sort of you know austin is seen as a hippie town and a lot of places like that are seen as liberal hippie towns who do that kind of stuff but then those are the places that everybody wants to go on vacation to yeah. or whatever. You know, they want to they want to go to those places and, you know, you have to start making the connection that what you do and what you support is not really where you want to be right. half the time, you know. Yeah. Well, I think there's also a lot of parallels. This might be a stretch, but with both of your all the bands you guys have been in, like none of them I feel like are super commercial oriented bands. And I feel like maybe the fan bases aren't huge, but everyone that's into them like really loves it. Like I probably listened to more than ever 10,000 times. Like, <laughs> you know, it's one of my favorite songs ever. I mean, do you feel like you're happy kind of being on that fringe to an extent and having that kind of dynamic as opposed to playing these kind of faceless arenas or whatever? Yeah. I, I, I think so you know i i don't i can't i can't give you an informed opinion on the arena sort of thing because i've never really spent much time (laughs) (laughs) playing performing music in that type of realm but and in so many ways i think uh i always i I use the term cottage industry sometimes and maybe i abuse it but keeping things and and 
keeping your overhead low and uh, keeping, I don't know, trying to figure out ways to cut, cut out, uh, cut out stops to the fan, like to make things very, to make the attachment between band and fan very direct and, and kind of homegrown. I think it does allow a ton of freedom to do, you know, we just don't have people looking over our shoulders, criticizing the font on the spine of a record that we've chosen or, or so it does allow a whole lot of freedom without a doubt we can kind of take a turn and do another collaboration or make a solo record or make an art rock record there's just a ton of freedom in that and 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 so with again i'm speaking from one side of things but without uh flirting with a commodified kind of giant arena type of thing it uh, there's a lot of pleasure in that freedom without a doubt that's why a lot of those bands try and play one-offs like you know if like a certain you know certain bands will play like a big venue and then if you listen you'll know they'll be playing a smaller room yeah. the other night you know yep. and it's because you miss that and you like that and it is more uh intimate there's no nudging of you know management people need to get out of the way you know so to get to the thing that we want to do or and and there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of joy in that to me yeah, i mean it's a trade-off it's like you know you use the word happy you know are you happy to be on the fringe or whatever i mean i don't know that any of us would not be more happy to sell more records or whatever sure. you know what i mean like you don't choose to i'm cutting this off at x number or whatever <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so it's yeah. not gonna make me happy to sell any more than that you know you but like what will said you have a you have a trade-off i mean of all the freedom that you have for everything that he just said you do have to have to do things a little more on the cheap and you know um you you worry a little more about like show attendance or something sure or whatever you know and of course you worry about that at larger levels too but there is a benefit like will and i were talking about this the other day there are there are some bands who will make the jump to like a bus tour from a van tour to a bus tour too quickly, you know, and they'll kind of jump the gun, get in over their heads and, and, and it's not sustainable. And I think there are those different levels. There's like the dude driving in his car to go play living room shows. There's the band in a van there's the bigger crew in a bus. There's the bus with the semi, you know, and, it, and then you're carrying your own sound system. So there are all these different levels. And I think the the level that we're on has always been band in a van for the most part, you know, for all of our bands. And it does have its great upsides. You're totally, you know, in charge of your own destiny in a way. Yeah. And you don't have anybody telling you what to do. But you are also crashing on floors and you know you there's no big spread backstage or whatever and <laughs> and you know you're not making a whole lot of money and you're trying to justify being on the road at all versus having a job at home or whatever there's that there's is a tipping point for a lot of people where it, you become a musician for a living and a lot of that involves as will would know staying on the road a lot so that's another set of trade-offs trade-off between the road and family and whatever and of course people who are bigger and more successful can maybe tour less or something you know there's that i've talked to you know certain bands where they've gotten to a point in their careers where if they do have to tour more what's good is they can spread it out more where it can be three weeks here three weeks at home three weeks here three weeks at home which really of course that's a hard three weeks but you know it balances itself out mm -hmm. from when you're at home, you can be at home, you know, like, like with your family. And your yeah. Family. I remember back in the bedhead days, um, we would go out on a tour and everybody was a little screwed getting back home with jobs and stuff. Like our bass player would have to get a new job or whatever, you know, cause he had to quit the one or like the, his employer said, no, it's cool. And so he went out on the tour and then when he got back, he didn't have a job, you know, that sort of thing. But then we would play with bands, you know, where, where, you know, you end up talking about this kind of stuff and just telling them those sorts of woes or whatever. And, you know, for us, it was, it was risky and a bitch to go out on the road. And for some of these other bands that tour all the time, 
they couldn't get off the road. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the, it'll switch at some point. Yeah. You know, and it's just at some point you make that call. Okay, it's going to flip. Yeah. You know, there are numerous bands that they they have to stay on the road just to. They keep, can't be at home. Right. They they don't get. They're not making the luxury of the the home time because that flip that that has taken place and then suddenly uh in some cases i've witnessed the road kind of consume them just physically and spiritually in so many ways and that's not necessarily always a healthy thing so it's it's a little bit like you were saying the three weeks on three weeks off sort of thing it's a matter of one striking a balance with what's comfortable for your life and your family but it's also a matter of regularly communicating with your bandmates about what works for you. And I think that uh, encourages and, and definitely fuels longevity and sustainability for a band. A lot of it is really just talking it out and figuring what's good for you and what's not. And, and if you bottle that up, sometimes I think you can get a little trapped and exhausted and it's not good for the health of the band. So, so much of it is just discussing things and what's working for you now that maybe didn't work for you then. What changes you want to make about your touring habits, uh, how it affects personal life, things like that. And I think in so many ways that just, that allows life, better life for a band and longevity, in my opinion. It really is like a marriage. It is. Oh, yeah. It very much is it in is. so many ways. Yeah. It takes a lot of communicating and a lot of foresight and a lot of uh, checking out the calendar and seeing w- where you'll be, say, late November and considering how tired you might be after those days, those five days in a row in the West or whatever. Do we really want to play a show on that sixth day or would a day off be more valuable to rest and recuperate and just take some time and go out for a nice supper? And it it's a work it's always a work in progress it's always a tweaking sort of thing and 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 it's never perfect but you can make it better and better i think each year and that sort of preservation inspires i think inspires things forward with more touring and more records hopefully down the line it's amazing how bands do that like it it can all be used as analogy for should we play anchorage alaska because so many bands, the reason you don't do that, it's like, just because you have a stop off in Hawaii doesn't mean you're going to be able to play there. Any band, yeah, right, you know, yeah. any band, whatever whatever mm. size you are. And <clears throat> to people are starving for music up there, but if you can't afford to get up there, it's yep. not going to be beneficial. Right. That's why most people don't do it. Yeah. And yeah. that's I mean, exactly what you're saying. occasionally get, you know, like some crazy big offer to go play some out-of-the-way place, mm-hmm. but it's pretty rare, you know. Mm-hmm. But it is like there'll be a place that's, hungry for something you know somewhere but you know it's some band they're also these same sort of cutoff points i mean some bands can say you know head from texas for example and go play albuquerque and phoenix on the way to la and have good shows on you know tuesday and wednesday night well most bands can't right and so you just make that kind of stuff work as cheaply as possible on the way out to la and yeah you know, it's we like with the overseas shows that we're doing right now. You know, we just kind of decided early on we weren't going to do that. You know, we're gonna we played Texas two weeks ago, did three shows. We flew in to play these two shows here. We're going to go out to the West Coast in October and Seattle down to L.A. You know, at some point we need to go up to Chicago. You know, and kind of do the Midwest. But we just decided, you know. And luckily, we're we're getting good enough offers and everything that we can afford to do it. But we just kind of decide that's the way we're going to do it for this. You know, it seems like you guys have to play overseas at some point too. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was that mood like when you? you but then threw it, the, the U.S. will name. be overseas while we're over there. Oh yeah, that's true. The U.S. will be overseas <laughs> yeah. while we're there. So Damn, perfect. Right. <laughs> when you go overseas, do you have to change the name? It, yeah, it'll be like overseas U.S. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It just sounds like since bands are like marriages, you know, and you guys are all having like this lovely affair in this new mm-hmm. band right, together, right. like this kind yeah. of group, group affair. sex. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds like it's yeah. awesome, you know, like this is kind of, a you know. Like, Col- yeah, collaborations are in a yeah. sense very, very acceptable and allowable affairs. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. you're all allowed to cheat and uh, yeah. let's just okay. go and have some fun. It's going to yeah. be open and, and you know. 
Get it out of your system. Get it out of your system. Have a little cuss time. (laughs) Sure. Have cuss time. Have a little cuss time. (laughs) Come back back to the campfire. I don't even know if we were recording. No, we're not. Yeah, let's end it with that. Can you you tell the cuss time story? The cuss time story? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great writer, Jill McCorkle, North Carolina, born and bred. Now she's up in Boston, I believe. But um, went to uh, hear her read a few years ago, and she was talking about before she started doing the reading, she was talking just family stuff and her kids, talking about her kids and um, mentioned the concept of cuss time, which uh, I believe it's once or twice a week that she would allow this, but it's like kids are obviously so enthralled with the taboo, the taboo and the satisfaction of spitting out cuss words. So what she would do instead of like having them sort of build that tension up over the week she would allow five minutes a five minute session where the kids were allowed to say whatever they wanted whatever cuss words they wanted she'd set a timer she's like okay that's it cuss time five minutes you know and the kids would just go wild saying everything they could think of just to get it out of their system and then when the timer went off that's it cuss time is over but it sounds to me like it was a really healthy concept until like, I think the neighbor kids started con- getting clued in on it and one was like, hey, we heard you cuss guys have party. cuss time. Can we, we go over to cuss? Yeah, <laughs> can, we go, can we come over and cuss? And that's when it got a little bit, I think, as I understand, it got a little dicey then. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> hard, think, it's hard to see down the road that yeah, far, like where that could lead. Exactly. But conceptually, I really like the idea of it. And as a, as a father, I think I'm going to start. If if it comes to that, you know, where the kids are really wanting to cuss, maybe I'll allow, maybe I'll go for cuss time as time goes on. We'll see. We'll see how, how they feel about cussing. My cuss time is just in the car. Like, yeah. I just notice I, I'm the worst. I just hate everybody in the car. Like, when you're driving is where I come up with the most creative like I called somebody the other day a, a cock knock, and I don't even know where that came from. It's like fucking cock knock, and then my wife's like, "That's a new, that's new," and I was yeah. like, ah. "You know, I don't know where that came from, but it's my car. Maybe that's my cuss. That's my cuss time." You're a real artist, Mike. Listen, what I come up with, and that you cut me off. I'm gonna paint a picture for you. Credit oh, cuss time. Or... If no one's called it yet, that's my next band. I said it would Cust be a good time. album title, Custom. Yeah. Oh, what record bad. is that on? That's on Custom. That's on Custom. Yeah. Track six. Yeah. Fart knocker. <laughs> cock knock. Yeah. yeah, cock knock. <laughs> Critics and fans were astonished when Cock knock, the first single of Custom. <laughs> now, for those of you who follow along, Take notes on that previous episode. Go back and listen to it again. Because next week when we talk to uh, Dave and... We are going to talk to Dave and Matt Cadane. Dave and Matt uh, about Overseas. It's fun to hear their take on how the band came together yeah, and how the songwriting goes. I'm glad we did this separate because I feel like maybe they each learned about each other <laughs> and their own band and their brother. Which has been the goal of going off track since yeah, the beginning. For but you to learn about yourself and those that you are it's worth. It's a journey of self-discovery. Through other people oh, separately. Yeah. Yes, but um, check out the Overseas <laughs> record. Stay tuned next week for the episode with the other two dudes because it's equally as awesome. The record's awesome, and all of our listeners are awesome, so keep uh, visiting us on Facebook at Going Off Track. We're on Twitter at Going Off Track. I'm on Twitter as My Name is Jonah. Steven is Steven Smith Says. Brad is Soundwag. Leave us iTunes reviews. Email oh, yeah. us. Just do anything. Like Just let us know you're there because we like to hear from you. Let us know who you want us to book on the podcast. Oh, yeah. We've, let- we've done that, and it's actually come true a yes. lot of cases. And let us know if you know about any more musical projects Dave Bazan's doing because we <laughs> would love to talk about it. I have been obsessed with Dave for a very long time. I actually have a lifetime pass laminate that I got from his manager, Bob, that any Dave Bazan headlining show, you email this thing on the back and bring it, and you get into any show for the rest of your life for free. Wow. Yeah, would, you get a, would you get a Dave Bazan tattoo if they said you'll get into any show for free if you get the tattoo? I, don't, I have a laminate. I don't need a tattoo. <laughs> you lost your laminate. Stupid you question. And they said, well, if you lose laminate, we'll let you in with this tattoo. Would you do it? No. Because then you have to be buried in Reform Cemetery. Right? No, it's nothing to do with that. I don't care about that. I just, uh, I, I feel like that would be kind of like make me seem really cheap if that was my only tattoo. <laughs> it was like to go see this guy. Like I can, I don't know. Cheap or awesome cheap all right fair enough um thanks for listening we love you bye
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.